Hi there, welcome to the Jewelry Navigator podcast, an on-the-go source of original and unique jewelry with stories of the designers who create it. My name is Brenna Pakes. I'm a graduate gemologist with a degree in geology. I've worked in the retail sector for over 15 years. After completing my graduate gemology diploma and working in the industry for a little while, I took an intermittent career break and worked for a major airline. That's why I combine the theme of aviation and the concept of navigating shoppers to choices of unique jewelry, as well as understanding gem selection and jewelry construction, as well as metal choices. I do a coordinating blog post for every podcast showing photos of the jewelry that we're talking about, as well as links to the jewelers and more information about them. So I hope you enjoy the episodes and feel free to subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator Passport, a way to stay up to date with the current episodes and upcoming features. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hey there, welcome back to the Jewelry Navigator podcast. I've been away for a little bit because I've been doing a very special project that I'll tell you about in just a couple of minutes, but today I have a really special guest and I'm really excited to share her story with you. Her name is Julie Lamb, and she is a jewelry designer in New York City. She has a fascinating story. She has a really deep background that goes deep into the industry, the jewelry industry, with lots of experience besides just making jewelry. Her story is fascinating. She's so much fun. I really enjoyed talking with her, and I think you'll really enjoy her story. But I'll tell you a little bit about her collections. Using a play on words with her last name, Lamb, she does have a collection that's really unique. It's called B-U, and U is spelled E-W-E, like a lamb. And they're little lambs with diamond heads, sterling silver, gold, adorable little lambs that she has, interestingly enough, found a very unique niche for. Another collection is a tribute to her city, New York City, with pendants that are in the shape of manhole covers and even subway tokens, but they're fancy, of course. Some have diamond halos around the edge. Another one of her collections called Metropolis, all of the gemstones are in the shape of a shield, like a Superman uh, shield, really pretty different stones and of course different metals. Some are in 14 karat rose gold, sterling silver. So her collections range in a wide variety of prices that make it affordable for everybody. Besides her fun and whimsical collections of BU, Metropolis, and the City collections, she has a more sophisticated line that are in her limited editions, as well as stackable line called Elements with really pretty stackable rings and her limited editions are more um, sophisticated pieces, more linear. I love that she's so versatile and all of her pieces are different, but that's what I love about her collection because you can go to her collection and get something for everyone. So I'm really excited to share her story and here's Julie Lamb. Tell me your story about how you got into jewelry. I was reading your um, your about page, which is really interesting since you were 
a little girl, but I'll let you tell it. Well, it's pre- it's funny to me because I'm always like, um, I have the most boring story ever <laughs> because <laughs> it was literally like I made jewelry since I was a child. And then um, I literally, I really decided in high school that I was going to be a jewelry designer. So I, um, I live far, far, far out in Brooklyn, like a neighborhood close to JFK. Mm-hmm. So not cool Brooklyn, like everyone thinks it is now, but like I call it deep Brooklyn. I'm like, you're never going to go there. There's not going to be an up and coming restaurant. I live in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I, uh, pretty sure I didn't need to be in that neighborhood for another two minutes and then I was looking um I I went to an art high school in the city so it's uh it was it's a public high school called the high school of art and design Uh so you did have to take you know for some of the uh they're called magnet schools in New York City so like if it's a science school or a math school or a um theater school it's still public but you'd have to take like a test to you know get out of your district and get into the school Mm -hmm. so there was like oh you know some little art test and I showed a portfolio and fine so I had to go on the subway and then bus and all this for an hour and 15 minutes to leave (laughs) deep Brooklyn to go into Midtown yeah yeah, yeah. with a giant portfolio and a book bag and like I probably weighed half what I do now like a little tiny person (laughs) with like all this like a t-square hanging out of your backpack you know um (laughs) crazy so um so I was like you know commuting to high school but I was an illustration major there so it was um formerly it was like a commercial art school so maybe I don't know back in the day like maybe in the seventies or something, you'd probably go to this school and get like your degree in advertising design and illustration and stuff like that and go get a job. So that was like their background. So this was all 2d. And so I did, I was in illustration. Um, I still draw for money. Like I call it drawing for dollars when I do freelance drawing for people. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Drawing for dollars. I was drawing there, but it wasn't, I wasn't so in love with it. Um, and I just started with a friend just making jewelry after school. So this, uh, best friend of mine lived in the village. So she's like, let's go to canal street. And we would buy like all little tiny bits of lucite and acrylic and plastic parts. And, Pearl Paint down there at the time had a bead and craft section, so there's a ton of stuff there to buy and play with. And there was that clay you can bake in the oven, and there's, like, leather cord and beads and rhinestones and whatever. And we'd also go to the garment district, and that was more beads and stringing and all kinds of things we can get our hands on. So we pretty much, like, after school would make all kinds of stuff. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, this is what I can do with just gluing things together or baking the clay or, you know. Uh, So it was everything except metal and soldering, you know what I mean? So, but I decided, like, that was it. Like, I was going to, I was so in love with making jewelry. So I only looked at colleges that had a program, and I ended up at uh, Syracuse in in metalsmithing. So, uh, I bypassed FIT. Um, uh-huh. FIT was like, like even the accessories people had come over to me and like, if you don't choose the jewelry program, we'd love to have you. I'm like, I got to get out of the city. Like I just commuted to the city for four years. Like I need, I want to go to, you know, I need a, I want to go to a real campus. Right. 
which yeah. so I go, I go and I don't utilize the campus because I don't go to sports events and I didn't join a sorority. So I, <laughs> I just stayed in the art school, you know, where I'm comfortable. So like the first day of, uh, being in the dorm and go down to lunch or whatever. And I see a table of green Mohawks and tattoos and piercings. And, you know, I, I was like, Oh yeah, that would be my clan. So I just, <laughs> It was pretty much like, why did I have to go to private school and go upstate when I basically stayed at FIT in the art school? You know what I mean? It was kind of <laughs> stayed in that. That school's so big, you know, you have to uh, find your people. So, right. Um, yeah, so metalsmithing. So then I'm totally afraid of fire. I guess I'm a little better now. So, like, I never smoked because I would never carry lighter or light things up in my face. Uh-huh. Um, now they start you on the big torch and then, which is very scary. And then I, I only use the tiny acetylene after that, but <laughs> you know, then I'm now I'm able to do, I, I wanted that because I could, I wasn't limited to the things I could buy and glue together. I can make my own shapes. I can cast whatever I wanted. I could carve it in wax and cast it. I can cut it out of metal and solder it. So, you know, that opened up all kinds of things. And I started Mm -hmm. playing with hinges then actually. So that freelancer band is like (laughs) kind of an old idea come, come to pass and baguettes now, but (laughs) (laughs) funny. So definitely I just stayed in the lane. Like I just looked for, I'm always looking for something that won't hold me back. Like, Oh, if I'm working with a jeweler and he can't do this, like I'm going to find someone who can, because I don't want to be limited by, my own hands or anyone else's. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, if you don't have the new laser machine, then I'm going to go over here. Or, you know, I, I just want to, what are the tools and how can we employ them? Right. Right. So what, um, what inspired you to do your collections? You have a really cool variety of collections. Well, first of all, your lamb inspired. <laughs> um, yeah the U collection, E-W-E, yep. that's really cute. How did you come up with that? I mean, besides also, being your last name. All the collections, and I've had people, some people tell me, I'm confusing. I'm all over the place. Why do I have superpowers and manhole covers and sheep? Okay. <sighs> so my career has been in bigger companies, right? So I'm used to merchandising. Um, let's say I was selling, you know, I'm at Nine West and I'm selling, Macy's is coming in for market week. You know, we did all the categories. So we had social that was sparkly that she's going to wear to prom and wedding. And then we have uh, all metal and then we have metal and leather. And, you know, we had five categories. So like mm-hmm. I wanted to have, if you don't get the sheep and you buy color stones, you have Metropolis. If you don't, you know, whatever. I wanted to have a variety. Like I'm a jewelry store and I have a breadth of an assortment. And what I am petrified of, which is what the industry seems to demand, is what's your look? What is your David Yerman cable? What is the pattern that you put on every single piece that I can identify you? Mm-hmm. And that. I know it's important for standing out and being recognized in your jewelry when your jewelry is not with you and it's in a random store. Mm-hmm. But to, for me to commit my creativity to one style is like death. And I, mm-hmm. 
I can't slash won't do it. So did I make it hard for myself or did I, in my opinion, I gave myself avenues in which I can design into and I'm not going to get bored. But, you know, I also made it hard because I have X amount of messages coming out of my mouth. But anyway, <laughs> I don't see it that way. I see you, I Thank see you. That as versatility and um, I see it as personality and unique. That's that's the message I want to pass along too is there's multiple so... personality. <laughs> and that's okay too. <laughs> that that's true. I feel okay too. It's okay. Um so much of the jewelry that is out there, it all looks the same and I get so bored. Um and I yeah. shouldn't I shouldn't try to, you know, project my, what my beliefs are, what my feelings are, but I guess I'm, I just try to gravitate or have people gravitate towards me who don't want to look like everybody else. And unique. uh, Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's what I love about your collections is because you're not limited to just one thing. You're not limited to your metropolis or your city collection. The, um, the BU collection is so, it's so cute. I love, I love the little lambs. And um, it's, you know, it's like a whimsical side and then, you know, a more sophisticated side. So I think you're really, I, it's such a well-balanced collection. I go into it like, I I think I can sell these. They're cute. They're at a good price point. I want to get that money so I can do the $10,000 crazy earring for Spectrum and really go off. Mm. I mean, that's kind of. And the balance for me is, yeah, one, I'm not going to be bored. And two, it's like, oh, I wanted to appeal to a broad. If I was a store by myself, you know, I want to appeal to, I want to have something for, I have silver price points and, you know, silver jewelry, because I want you to still have the lamb if you love the lamb, but you're not going to pay $1,600 in gold. You're going to pay 300 in silver. I just was like, I want to get this stuff out on people. So it was like kind of a, I didn't want to do Julie Lamb silver, and then Julie Lamb Fine. It was like, uh-huh. if you like my designs, I want you to have them. Yeah. So you picked your metal slash price point. You know, now I'll do 18 carat and opal in the same uh, necklace. I'm going to do silver and raw crystal. Mm-hmm. It was just an effect to get it out on people. But um, as far as uh, stuff looking the same, um, I spent a thousand years in, you know, uh, working for the companies that, you know, Avon or Nine West or uh, what else? I work Robert Rose, Michael Anthony. I don't know. I worked for a lot of companies that, you know, I was doing trend reports. What's the hot new thing? Walk Vegas and come back with your report. And, you know, I'd be like, looks like pink gold is coming back. I'm seeing a lot of rings that are set east, west, not the traditional north, south, bar pendant, mm-hmm. whatever it was, you know, chasing trends, is very exhausting. You have to hit it right. You have to be looking at the right thing. You have to have the right. It's expensive. You have to go to Europe and look around at Paris and London. You have to get a subscription or many subscriptions to uh, trend reporting services. You have to go to the shows. You have to really, it's a lot of research to be on the trend, ahead of the trend. Know your customer. Is she a year later? Is she Avon? Is she three years later? You know, she's still asking mm-hmm. for the bar pendant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't buy right. stack rings yet. They don't know about it. So I 
have no desire to do that over here. I'm not trying to, I don't want to chase that. And mainly it's because I can't compete at that level. So I'm not going to be the cheapest version. I'm making it small batch in New York city. I'm not making it in China. I can't, um, compete on price with you guys and your rainbow stack ring. I can't do it. So Mm -hmm. if I can't compete, I don't want to play. And I also think I'm more creative than that. So I kind of am like, I want to, I want to fit in with the trends. Like I have, I have a bunch of stack rings, but like, I want to do it my way. Like it has a lamb on it or it has the Superman dangle off of it. Like I want to play with it, but I don't want to try to be it or beat it. Mm-hmm. So that's too hard and I'm not interested. I'm not interested in chasing something. I don't know. I just want to do my own thing. So then again, I made it hard for myself because, you know, it's all unicorns and llamas and I have a sheep. So, <laughs> so I'm not chasing trends is one of the, one of the pieces of like, you know, being a rich, like, why do you have sheep and manhole covers? And I'm like, okay, I could speak to those things. So the sheep is its own whole thing and its own separate podcast probably. Cause that's how I got deep into that thing more than my other jewelry. Um, so the BU is from my last name, obviously, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is funny because people will come by at a trade show and I have a giant Julie Lamb sign hanging in back <laughs> of me and come to the case and be like, what is that dog? It's kind of cute. Why are you making, I've gotten it a million times and I'm like, hi, I'm Julie dog. Like, it's <laughs> the worst thing. Like, ew, so horrible. And I'm like, you know, it's from my last so I just I was signing that little guy on my artwork when I was younger so Uh back I don't know I don't know when I switched to this logo it could have been he looks like a 90s edition I don't he used to be fluffier I used to have curly wool and like I don't know split hoof feet he was a little more like detailed and then Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way in art school I refined it to this like sleek guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just would sign it on my artwork um and so when I first I started making some of these pieces like I don't know a dozen years ago like the big manhole cover the CAD was probably done like 12 years ago ish um I just never finished and some of the sheep too I just didn't come out with a collection I was working for people I was kind of playing around with stuff for myself on the side um and I didn't have it together focused but um so the sheep is from the last name and then before I really launched it, so then, you know, I started making the models. I started finishing the pieces, you know, four, four-ish years ago, adding chain and the whole thing and trying to make a collection. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, great. But why would you, stranger customer, want to wear the sheep around your neck? So I pushed myself to come up with like all the, uh, the marketing piece on it, like the black sheep of the family and then the... Be you, I love you, rock mm-hmm. and flop, stand out, be heard, H-E-R-D. It's a lamb tag, it's not a dog tag. All those things mm-hmm. were to give it a meaning, to push a meaning behind it so it's like I can connect with a broader audience because, you know, me wearing a sheep made sense or a cousin of mine, but like how am I going to sell it to a random people? So. Mm-hmm. 
immediately launching Instagram, uh, so all the social was put out in, I think, spring 2015. Mm-hmm. I got an influx of knitters and then some farmers, sheep farmers or ranchers following me as well. Uh-huh. So imagine me in New York where I never left, that I <laughs> grew up in Brooklyn and went to school in the city and lived in every borough and went to school upstate, still New York, New York, New York, New York. <laughs> and here I have knitters and farmers in my feed and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so it was, I, it shouldn't have been so surprising, but it was an eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was always like paying attention to that. It's in the back of my mind. And um, I'm pushing out this collection and people do find it interesting and I would get press on it. And then some stores were, you know, interested that they try it because it's like what you were saying before, how you'll get bored with the jewelry. Mm-hmm. I think any one of us that's so immersed in the industry and have seen so much for so long, when you see a new random thing, it's like pop, you know, it just gets your attention. Mm-hmm. And I think for that reason, um, people were interested or I got press or I got to be tried out in, in some of the bigger stores um, just because of the newness, like it was unique, but um, I think it comes with a heavy, like you have to really know how to sell it or, or like tell those little stories. Right. So um, kind of the so last year, Oh, and here's a metal and Smith tie. And I was, I forgot which show it was. It had to be, I guess it was, you know what? Maybe it could have been May 2017. Yeah, that makes sense. I saw um, I'm at a metal and Smith with the whole table, and a guy comes by and he starts just chatting with me, friendly, nice, um, fun conversation about the line. And I say, um, "Oh, where's your store?" And he says, "Rhinebeck." So I was like, "Wait, are you Hummingbird?" And he's like, "Yes." Now, I've been walking into that store because my brother-in-law lives up there for, like, uh-huh. years. And I worship that store. It's so, like, so many things you drool over. It's like, oh, my God. So I was like, oh, my God, I have these sheep. Sheep and Wool Festival runs through Rhinebeck. You have to have me up there for a trunk show. Don't you see this is perfect? <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me in. So this is May and Sheep and Wool's in uh, October. It's actually this weekend. So he's like, yeah, 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 let's do it. So um, I went up there for the trunk show last year. And, you know, I sent them some stuff for the window, uh, a little ahead. And he properly advertises. Like he put money in his posters in the window, front window, poster at the show, radio ad, a newspaper ad. He did like really so the right thing and we sold maybe 16 pieces and people were coming into his store and saying, where are the sheep? So, you know, this is a store that has like Petra class and Pat Flynn and Gerhard and all these like major pieces in there. And they're looking for me this weekend. So I was like, Holy crap. Like, I mean, these are, their knitters are super passionate, happy people that are like saving their money to buy more yarn. Uh And this is their thing. So I was also, that was kind of like a light bulb went off there because I saw Mm -hmm. the audience being so like into it. And then I had already signed Vogue magazine has a magazine called Vogue knitting 
magazine mm-hmm. and Vogue Knitting does four shows in the country. So I had already signed up to do the January t- this year, 2018, but I didn't know what to expect. And I was going to have a whole 10 by 10 booth to myself, which was freaking me out because that's mm-hmm. like a big space to cover with question marks. <laughs> once I realized that this was the audience and that show was like that's a direct to consumer show these mm-hmm. ladies will be just walking by it's not a store that I have to convince to make a buy that they have to now sell through it and explain it like I will and whatever it's direct to these crazy people who are coming in here asking for me and then between <laughs> so it was like wool and sheep light bulb at Hummingbird, and then January, direct to Crazy Knitters, was like, I didn't advertise, they didn't know I was coming, and and it was the greatest thing ever. Oh, that was great. But I mean, I want to tap, like, you know, there's the city collection, the subway tokens and stuff, it doesn't have a New York City home. I'm like, I have to tap that niche audience here, Metropolis. Mm -hmm. I'm calling up Comic-Con, trying to get a table. Because I'll go be in a Superman, co- Superwoman costume and mm-hmm. sell it. I, I don't care. Like, I think <laughs> I love niche and uh, those audiences are diehard fans. And if yes. I, you know, I'd like the lambs to pay for my spectrum entries. Like, that's kind of, I want to keep tapping that audience. So, like, early on, I was smelling something that I think I'm right about, like, Ladies who are coming by and they're turned on by those sheep, um, they seem to be a little older, like, I don't know, 50-ish, mm-hmm. mid-50s, and they think it's cute. And some of them are like, oh, my God, this is so sweet. I'm going to get it for my granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Or I call, my, I call my daughter when she was a baby lamb chop. You know, whatever reason, they think it's cute, and they equated cute to their daughters and granddaughters. Right. Now, when the grown daughter is 16, 24, 32, guess what? She doesn't want the stupid sheep around her neck. She wants, <laughs> she wants diamond stack rings that she shouldn't be wearing yet. Um, she wants you know, something cooler in diamonds, uh-huh. um, delicate, stackable, whatever she's seeing on Instagram. So I think I'm right because if the sheep stay with the knitters, then I, then I was right. <laughs> right. So they're they're definitely younger, you know, once in a while younger, yeah, for sure. But I think the heart of it is these knitters. And not that the knitters don't range too, because knitting seems to be like it's like a almost like a cool it's like a cool cult thing going on. Like a lot of them have colored hair. Um <laughs> there's there's stuff called stitch and bitch that they get together at night with wine and they're you know, it's, I've been <laughs> there's knit at night, uh East Village, it's uh I've been interviewed at Knit at Night, or it's in an East Village um, bar. What, what's the bar called? It's on Avenue A. Uh, uh, Cumming, oh, Cummings. Yeah. Alan Cummings owns the bar. Mm-hmm. That's the name of it. Anyway, there's it's like um, this like super hot boy knitter, and it's kind of like a show. But I mean, it's dark and it's in a bar, and they're drinking, but. They still have their stuff with them. I'm like, are they knitting in the dark? Like <laughs> so they interview people that, you know, they, you know, famous knitters or I don't know, something um, in that world. But they, I don't know. They're, I found some 
yarn stores is like all day Saturday, you know, it's the same clique of women that are sitting around the table and they're just sharing their lives. They're like, my daughter got into Stanford. We're taking her down next week. Like they know intimately, like it's just a place for them. These knitting stores is like mm-hmm. their therapy, their community, their friends, their, you know, girl gang. I don't know, but I found that these knitting stores are very like community um, oriented and like definitely bringing women together. And this is like super interesting. Like I feel like an interloper, but I'm, I'm seeing it. Right. Yeah. You know how we were talking about earlier, how it's trying to find a new direction. That's exactly what you're doing, which is really smart because you're bypassing the whole, you're bypassing the trade shows. You're bypassing you know, having to be in a store and you're just like you said, you're going directly to the consumer. So that's another benefit to having such a variety in your collection is that you can really zero in, like you were saying, on these niches. So it's really smart. Well, it's like uh, they found me or I found them, but you know, if you could take it like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to sit in a yarn store and sell sheep to, to, you know, these ladies, you know, that's not cool. That's not going to get me an in style magazine, whatever, whatever. I'm like, I need to get this stuff on the people who want it. Like I've been, it's, it's like literally just a flow of energy. If I'm Mm -hmm. emailing a store and I took 45 minutes to compose my email, trying to guess which pictures or what, which collections they'd be interested and look at their store online and see what the um, personality is, whatever, you know, it's a lot. They don't answer me. They don't answer me. They don't answer me. They don't answer me. <laughs> right. When I've, or I'm at a show and they're like, what is that dog? I don't understand. Or you're confusing. Why do you have all these things? <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's so tiring. And I get, I don't get the energy back that I put in. And every time I've been, you know, Vogue knitting, you know, these ladies probably save their Christmas money knowing in January they're going on their girls trip. They're going to stay in the hotel in New York City. They're going to go to the theater and they're spending their money on this trip to buy the yarn they wanted. And I wasn't in the budget because they didn't know I was going to be there last year. They found me there and I didn't have to explain a single thing to anybody. Right. They're like, oh, look at the sheep. So cute. I want, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. I was like, oh, my God, these are my people. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need to be sold on them. They understand my collection, and they want it. Right, right. Yeah. I'm good. I think it's fun. It um, is. It's great. Like, they're, they're super fun. They've, <laughs> like, they're super passionate. This is their hobby and their passion, and they're with their friends in their happy space, all relaxed, like, you know. The husbands and boyfriends are not coming in with the, to the yarn store with them mostly. And they're just free to talk women's stuff and women's anything, women's empowerment, personal stories, you know, it's, it's beautiful community. And they're just like, they're so happy. It seems it's, it's very interesting. Aww. And I'm, they're like, Oh, are you, you're right back there in the yarn store. Sorry. It's a little slow today. I'm like, Hey, it could be worse. I could be at a jewelry show. <laughs> it's so depressing sometimes. You know, the buyers walk by and they won't make eye contact with you because they think you're going to sell them or, you know, it's just this like game. 
I don't want to play. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's everyone's fantasy that you know. My it's my fantasy that the work would speak for itself, and I don't have to speak. Or like you know, it's I don't want to put all those selfies up in the beginning. I would put a picture of a ring on Instagram and get like twenty likes. I put a selfie and get double or triple. I'm like, uh-huh. oh my god, who cares about me? I don't want it to be about my hair color or whatever. I don't care. I would love for it to be about the work, but you know what? It's not, unfortunately, but at least be with the knitters. It almost is like they just, they see it, they get it, they want it, you know, right, right for them almost. So it's been good. So, I mean, I have to, I've tried, I don't know where the farmers go shopping. I'm probably going to put an ad. Um, I'm going to try to get an ad on a farmers only is like a farmer's dating website. Oh my gosh. That's I so smart. Think that's a nice okay, <laughs> good thing for me to put BU on because if they're dating, then they're probably buying presents and yeah. So, I mean, this is the way that I'm thinking because I know that it's weird and it's not, you know, if it's not mainstream, then the stores won't buy it. That's fine. Let you know where does this belong? Let me find the crowd. So right, right. The knitters are out there with their girl for their shop. They're spending money on yarn. Oh, the best is, oh my God! I promised my husband I wouldn't buy any more yarn. It's in every cabinet in the kitchen and coming out from <laughs> under the bed. They stop at my table. They're like, "This isn't yarn." I'm like, "No, it is not." <laughs> <laughs> can I interest you in some diamonds? <laughs> like, you know, so I get that a lot too. So, you know, I, just, I don't think the farmers are out. Like I can't find the farmers at these functions that they're shopping and spending money wildly, you know, with their friends. I don't think they, I don't think that's a thing, but mm-hmm. can I get to them? <laughs> can I get to their dating website? <laughs> that's so smart, Julie. I don't want it to the county fair in wherever, probably, but you know, if I can get to farmers only, maybe it can get me there. But, you know, this is what I'm thinking now because I, I saw. So this has been the most informative collection. It's my best-selling collection, and those are the reasons. Okay. So I, I know that audience better. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. You have such a big, um, a big variety and background, and you've worked in a lot of different capacities in the jewelry industry. And you know what makes a a piece of jewelry quality. That's one of my biggest um, topics of conversation because I do like to teach people what to look for. Can you share with us some of the um, I don't know, some of the construction with your jewelry and how you go about making sure that it's, you know, quality and, um, you know, those kind of aspects that you put into the designs. Sure. Um, so I worked in bigger companies. I was mostly at the de- design capacity, except for my last one, I was director of merchandising and product development, but all the other positions were designed. So if I'm going to be a good designer, I need to know what the two, if I'm in the middle of marketing and supply chain or product development, I have to know the needs of my partners on either side to do my best job. Mm-hmm. So um, marketing is like, you know, uh, so many years at Avon, 
I know spring's coming up. They're going to want a Mother's Day gift set. And what what am I doing for the Easter pin? You know, I I was able to get ahead of what they're going to ask me for. And Mm -hmm. then year over year, you're like, I did the Easter egg last year. What am I going to do this year? Like, you have to, like, outdo yourself because it's year Uh over So that's marketing, knowing what they're going to ask. And then the supply chain uh, or product development was really more my where I'd like to hang out. No, I, I mean, the marketing piece is like I like naming the names and doing like the fun wordplay stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, supply chain, I would often travel with um, those guys to do the overseas factories and stuff. And I literally rather be in the shop or rather be in the factory. Mm-hmm. So I want to know how stuff works. And like I was saying before, like what tools are available? Like, so I fell in love with the uh, CAD and at Avon, actually, so I want to say uh, early 2000s or late night. Wait, when was I there? I don't remember. Early 2000s. Um, I, if you were, okay, so I worked a lot in costume jewelry mm-hmm. in my career. So back, 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 costume jewelry used to come from uh, Rhode Island a lot uh-huh. besides, besides New York City. So we'd go up to Rhode Island to our factory and da da da. So I'm also ordering things out of the catalog. So I can only get Swarovski beads in this shape and these colors or stones or whatever. These are the catalogs that sell the things that you order the things to make the stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So along comes now uh, Rhode Island moved to Seoul, Korea. Seoul, Korea moved to Qingdao, China. So Rhode Island was becoming expensive Korea was now producing. Korea, Seoul was becoming expensive. Korean owners were opening factories in northern China and Qingdao for the mm-hmm. labor. So enter that switch where now you have Chinese factories. There's no catalog. I'm like, uh, what stones do you have? They're like, what stones do you want? I'm like, no. Like, what sizes are available? I need to order oval cabochon they're like what size do you want i'm like wait a second (laughs) so these guys had no catalogs there was no color there was no shape there was no size they'll do whatever you want Mm -hmm. so i had to switch my thinking from the catalogs into i can make any component right so all i do is send a pantone chip Uh and spec whatever and you know we're doing such big buys they're gonna they're going to do whatever. So that was interesting. And as, at the same time, now I had, a there were two CAD guys on there and they were both used to be, um, uh, classically trained, you know, wax carving model makers that mm-hmm. into teaching themselves CAD and, and one guy in particular, like super ridiculously talented. So again, I'm faced with this. We can make whatever you want. So I just fell in love with like knowing, you know, in the past we would wax carving um, is a little bit limited. You know, you you can't go back to step as easily versus in CAD. He's showing me every single step and I'd be like, no, I liked it before with the rounded edge. You know, we just peel back the step and Mm -hmm. I can see it spinning around in 3D and I can make the change and I could, oh, on on the back, there's this whole big surface. Let's let's add the pattern there because we can. Like, it just um, 
I don't know, it just opens your mind because the tool can do anything. So then you can do anything. And I just like fell in love with working that way. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, what I found now, which is the funniest thing, um, like I draw the spec, I draw everything on paper, like to the millimeter side view or whatever, whatever, like a technical drawing. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to CAD, um, sitting with them every step on the CAD and going over all the details in the back and the front and the this and the that, you know, I'm going to lean on every shop's going to be a little different. Like I'm going to lean on them for the prong thickness or height, or I'll say, go ask the setter if this is enough. Start. Like I make them uh, talk to each other. Like I don't think a, a CAD, a young CAD person who only learned how to build in a computer mm-hmm. does not know the bench work behind right. after this thing is metal then how are you setting it how are you po- oh we better make this in three parts because you can't polish in there you know if you cast that as one thing you're gonna have all these areas you can't get to and then it'll look shitty when it's supposed to be finished uh-huh. so it's, it's stuff like that that i will make them go to you know uh, let me take this in this in this uh, stage and go show the jeweler and ask the question and and see if the setter is happy with the you know all these kinds of things so it's basically like getting everyone involved so like i'm i'm the designer i'm overseeing i'm like the gc on the project but i'm like i want everyone to sign i don't want to give the setter a surprise that he's going to be like how the hell am I going to set this and then do a bad mm-hmm. job and crack my stone? Like, I want them all on board. Like you saw this in the, in the beginning stage, you had your input, you're part of it because you're the expert in this area. Let's make the best piece we can. So I'm really annoying. And I <laughs> <laughs> ask a lot of questions because I'm, you know, I, I've seen enough at this point that I'm like, at least I know what questions to ask, but I'm still going to run back to like, you know, the guy who's going to touch it. And in the, in the end, like the mm-hmm. center and the cooler, and I want their input on, you know, the best way for them to put this thing together. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, re- just knowing the whole process. So it's because I worked X amount of places and walked X amount of factories and, um, I definitely would suck information from whoever my like head of product development was or whoever the engineer was, wherever I was, you know, I'd always look to them and, and try to learn from those guys. Mm-hmm. And now I have to push, you know, when we get younger people in, I I push them in that direction. Mm-hmm. I'm just pretty much like, I think every CAD person should have the, the jeweler partner i think they should be sitting next to each other but i haven't seen that yet they like to put the cad people in like a separate room far away in the dark and then like the jewelers are (laughs) and sometimes i feel like the jewelers are threatened by the cad people either that they're doing it in the computer and they're going to take their jobs or they're young and they don't know anything so i think there's like cultures within the shops that you Mm -hmm. know get in the way can get in the way of making the best piece of jewelry and i'm always just like go ask him (laughs) <laughs> or if they're in separate places, you know, I'll take it and I'll go ask him. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't, I just want the best. I want to be informed. I don't, I don't mind. Right. Right. And this is, these are all, um, these are all craftsmen and artists in New York, right? Yep. Yeah. Everything's um, around the 47th street area. Yeah. You know, it was so interesting that didn't occur to me is 
that the CAD CAM guys may or may not be bench trained jewelers, which if, seems, they're, if they're young, they're not. They're not. Okay. Which is so. They're coming out of school, learn, learning CAD in school. Uh-huh. Even if you did some jewelry work in school, that's so preliminary. Like I have a metalsmithing degree. I can't make you an engagement ring. Like I can, I can carve like, um, I think I'm good for charms and stuff. Or I can make uh-huh. a funky ring, but I can't promise you that I can make, I can't, I don't think I can make you a cocktail ring out of wax. Uh-huh. I just don't, for, for my stuff and also my aesthetic, like super clean. Like I don't, I know, you know, there's designers that the handmade thing is important to their marketing and their brand and they're on the bench and they do the final finish. Like that's their thing. I'm like, how am I supposed to be on? I'm not the best person to be on the bench. I've mm-hmm. done things. I can do things. I I guess I can still solder. I don't know. Or <laughs> I can still polish. I can still carve. But am I the best person to do it? No. And and my fingers need to be touching Instagram. How am I going to do all that during? I, I don't even know how these people do all the things. Like, it's crazy. Right. So because I think there's better people than me to set the diamonds or whatever, I I want them doing it. And then I'm also like, I, I'd like that my stuff looks machined where some people... Um, I noticed that the, uh, when I did the, the mad show, um, that, uh, what's that museum of art and design in November, um, they had a, they have a healthy amount of, or even maybe I was in the minority because they have a lot of bench people like, uh, Marion Moore and, um, Elizabeth Garvin, Mimi Favre, um, Mm -hmm. all these people, they're like, um, oh, so are you a jeweler? And I'm like, no, I'm not on the bench. I draw this back and then go into CAD. And they're like, they're, <laughs> I've been dismissed by bench like left and right. And I just think it's the funniest thing. I'm like, I've been on the bench. I My first, first, first job was on the bench. My first two jobs, actually. I'm sorry. I was hired as a model maker, like in, a, in fashion jewelry. So mm-hmm. doing more charms and stuff. But I was, yeah, carving wax for jobs. Like I did it. But... <laughs> It's just not what I want to produce. Right. right. So I just find like what I was saying before, it's unlimited um, tools with using CAD and stuff like that. So I just mm-hmm. got it very attracted to that. Well, it's a much more, it's, it's a much more productive way to do it too. Um, I can appreciate both sides, but this is definitely with this, when CAD came, came along, it was just, Increased proficiency Game so changer. much. Yeah. yeah. What's really cool about that, too, is that you can, like you said, you can sit down with the designer and switch things out quickly without having them go back, draw it again, and possibly uh, carve any well, wax. My, my last paid job was um, Gem Vara, was a uh, fine jewelry startup online, so online only. Uh-huh. And I'm there, and I'm seeing they didn't have all the samples like the guys they're taking the CAD um doing a rendering and putting it out in the 12 colors so I'm like holy crap I like that was eye open. like you don't have to make every sample I can have the photographer switch out a stone and put it on my website and put a price on it and make right. an order there are right. just all these options that I can have so right. you know I'm leveraging technology or I'm just, I don't, I guess I don't want to be limited in any way, shape, or form. So I just, that's how I gravitated. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a. I think that's the way things are are going towards. So yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like you're manufactured. You know, it doesn't have to. Be, it can be. You know, there's just shop factories in China pumping out. You know, the same thing, and it looks like it is, but. Mm-hmm. You know, you can finesse it like the my class rings have um, two of them have like a grill underneath because I was like, there's an extra surface. Let's put a lamb under there. Let's put a New York banner under it. Like there's room to design. So let's add it. Yeah. Yeah. And I did something. uh, I did one piece recently was going to be in platinum and really delicate. And I was like, I don't want the prongs in the CAD. I'm going to set it by hand do real pave you know after the fact because this piece is so delicate and it's platinum and it's special you know what I mean like I have the choice where I can stop the machining at any point and do the traditional setting or finishing or these prongs need to be made out of handmade out of wire this ear forged ear hook needs to be handmade out of wire I can't cast it it'll be weak I can't Mm -hmm. you know if it needs to be done by hand I can still you know stop the process and add those things traditionally after. Right. right. What, are, what are the options and what's the best way? When you just said your class ring, I'm sorry to kind of flip back, but I'm looking at your website with your class rings. And I think I mentioned you in my, um, if I didn't, I mentioned, I'll tell people now, I did a podcast about um, rings to consider for alternatives for class rings. because. Ah. Yes, and I think I mentioned you. If not, I'm telling everybody now, um, Julie does an incredible collection of class rings that are kind of um, based on the same kind of style, but they're much more beautiful. And you don't do stones, right? If there's a... Oh, at the center? I haven't yes. yet. I was leaving the centers open to engrave, you know, the initial or something. Oh, yeah. Um, Right. But I've had, you know, sometimes there's pictures like so shiny that like, what stone is that? Like, I probably should do a version that's a stone center, maybe in the oval. Yeah. I've had people ask me that. Yeah. Which would be nice to offer, but I really like just the classic idea of having a monogram or something. Yeah. Any of those, it's like, could we set sapphires around the halo or you can Mm. do yellow and white or yeah. I mean, there's, you know, options with the metal and stone and adding an initial or something that's Totally, we can play with. Well, I really love getting to hear your stories and getting to know you a little bit more. And I'm really excited to share your jewelry with everybody. So where can people find your jewelry besides on your website? Uh, well, that's been, <laughs> that's been <laughs> challenging. Reinhold in uh, San Juan. Uh-huh. I'll be at Hummingbird this weekend. I don't, I'm... Uh, I've been a little bit of a slacker on the wholesale side. I have a list of where to buy um, that you can call. You know, I was in Jewelry Bar last year. I took it out in the summer. You can call them up and ask for anything. Hummingbird the same. And then, of course, they can they can buy directly from you or even request a customization of something. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Julie. I was really excited to get to talk to you. And awesome. You've got a definite advantage um, with your with your background and also just with how versatile your collection is. I'm just really excited. Thank you. 
Yeah. I, really I love nice. when I feel like I'm like, she gets me. I don't have to explain. <laughs> yeah. That's the highlight of the day. Like, good. Good. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. Oh, so I'll good. be, whenever you send me the stuff, I'll post it out too and Twitter and all the stuff. And um, awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank oh, you, then, Julie. Yeah. I think we'll see you in March then. Yes. Yeah. And I will, um, I'll also plan on going, I think, uh, Metal and Smith has a show in February, so I'll do the winter edit and then come back for the March show. Okay. Yeah. yeah to see if I'm going to Tucson or whatever I'm doing. Cool. All right. All right. Stay in touch. Thank you. I will. Matt. You're welcome. <laughs> sure. Bye, Julie. I hope you enjoyed hearing Julie's story. I had so much fun talking with her and she has so much wisdom to share with anyone wanting to get into jewelry design and even new designers, a lot of insight on what goes behind, what goes on behind the scenes. A couple of things I want to mention. One is Julie is offering a Cyber Week special. Today is November 29th and through tomorrow, Friday, you can get 15% off of anything on her site. It's you enter the code cyber sheep like Julie Lamb, and you'll get 15% off anything on her site. So go take a look, pick up something for yourself or someone else. And then the other thing I mentioned at the beginning is I opened up a shop option on Jewelry Navigator. That's what I've been busy fixing up and preparing to launch. And I launched it earlier this week. It features a lot of the designers that I have featured on the podcast, and I'm so excited to share their jewelry. Go check it out. It's under the shop option on my website, which is jewelrynavigator.com. So until next time, make sure you fasten those safety clasps and those earring backs. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.